Part three of The Long Run by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Part three. The muse, said Merrick, refilling my glass and stooping to pat the terrier as he went back to his chair. Well, you've met the muse in the little volume of sonnets you used to like, and you've met the woman, too, and you used to like her though you didn't know her when you saw her the other evening no i won't ask you how she struck you when you talked to her i know she struck you like that stuff i gave you to read last night she's confirmed i've conformed she's conformed i've conformed the mills have caught us and ground us ground us oh exceedingly small but you remember what she was and that's the reason why i'm telling you this now you may recall that after my father's death i tried to sell the works i was impatient to free myself from anything that would keep me tied to new york i don't dislike my trade and i've made in the end a fairly good thing of it but industrialism was not at that time in the line of my tastes and i know now that it wasn't what i was meant for above all i wanted to get away to see new places and rub up against different ideas i had reached a time of life the top of the first hill so to speak where the distance draws one and everything in the foreground seems tame and stale i was sick to death of the particular set of conformities i had grown up among sick of being a pleasant popular young man with a long line of dinners on my list and the dead certainty of meeting the same people or their prototypes at all of them well i failed to sell the works and that increased my discontent i went through moods of cold unsociability alternating with sudden flushes of curiosity when i gloated over stray scraps of talk overhead in railway stations and omnibuses when strange faces that i passed in the street tantalized me with fugitive promises i wanted to be among things that were unexpected and unknown but it seemed to me that nobody about me understood in the least what i felt but that somewhere just out of reach there was someone who did and whom i must find or despair it was just then that one evening i saw mrs trent for the first time yes i know you wonder what i meant i'd known her of course as a girl i'd met her several times after her marriage and i'd lately been thrown with her quite intimately and continuously during a succession of country house visits but i had never as it happened really seen her it was at a dinner at the commoners and there she was in front of the very tapestry we saw her against the other evening with people about her and her face turned from me and nothing noticeable or different in her dress or manner and suddenly she stood out for me against the familiar unimportant background and for the first time i saw a meaning in the stale phrase of the picture's walking out of its frame for after all most people are just that to us pictures furniture the inanimate accessories of our little island area of sensation and then sometimes one of these graven images moves and throws out 
live filaments toward us and the line they make draws us across the world as the moon track seems to draw a boat across the water there she stood and as this queer sensation came over me i felt that she was looking steadily at me that her eyes were voluntarily consciously resting on me with the weight of the very question i was asking i went over and joined her and she turned and walked with me into the music room earlier in the evening someone had been singing and there were low lights there and a few couples still sitting in those confidential corners of which mrs cumnor has the art but we were under no illusion as to the nature of these presences we knew that they were just painted in and that the whole of life was in us too flowing back and forward between us we talked of course we had the attitudes even the words of the others i remember her telling me her plans for the spring and asking me politely about mine as if there were the least sense in plans now that this thing had happened when we went back into the drawing-room i had said nothing to her that i might not have said to any other woman of the party but when we shook hands i knew we should meet the next day and the next that's the way i take it that nature has arranged the beginning of the great enduring loves and likewise of the little epidermal flurries and how is a man to know where he is going from the first my feeling for paulina trent seemed to me a grave business but when the enemy is given to producing that illusion many a man i'm talking of the kind with imagination has thought he was seeking us all when all he wanted was a closer view of its tenement and i tried honestly tried to make myself think i was in the latter case because in the first place i didn't just then want a big disturbing influence in my life and because i didn't want to be a duke and because paulina trent was not according to hearsay the kind of woman for whom it was worth while to bring up the big batteries but my resistance was only half-hearted what i really felt all i really felt was the flood of joy that comes of heightened emotion she had given me that and i wanted her to give it to me again that's as near as i've ever come to analyzing my state in the beginning i knew her story as no doubt you know it the current version i mean she had been poor and fond of enjoyment and she had married that pompous stick philip trump because she needed a home and perhaps also because she wanted a little luxury queer how we sneer at women for wanting the thing that gives them half their attraction people shook their heads over the marriage and divided prematurely into philip's partisans and hers for no one thought it would work and they were almost disappointed when after all it did she and her wooden concert seemed to get on well enough there was a ripple at one time over her friendship with young jim dollop who was always with her during a summer at newport and had an autumn in italy then the talk died out and she and trump were seen together as before on terms of apparent good fellowship this was the more surprising because from the first paulina had never made the least attempt to change her tone or subdue her colors in the grey tramp atmosphere 
she clashed with prismatic fires she smoked she talked subversively she did as she liked and went where she chose and danced over the tramp prejudices and the tramp principles as if they'd been a ballroom floor and all without apparent offence to her solemn husband and his cloud of cousins i believe her frankness and directness struck them dumb she moved like a kind of primitive una through the virtuous rout and never got a finger-mark on her freshness one of the finest things about her was the fact that she never for an instant used her situation as a means of enhancing her attraction with a husband like tramp it would have been so easy he was a man who always saw the small sides of big things he thought most of life compressible into a set of bylaws and the rest unmentionable and with his stiff frock-coated and tall-hatted mind instinctively distrustful of intelligences in another dress with his arbitrary classification of whatever he didn't understand into the kind of thing i don't approve of the kind of thing that isn't done and deepest depth of all the kind of thing i'd rather not discuss he lived in bondage to a shadowy moral etiquette of which the complex rights and awful penalties had cast an abiding gloom upon his manner a woman like his wife couldn't have asked a better foil yet i'm sure she never consciously used his dullness to relieve her brilliancy she may have felt that the case spoke for itself but i believe her reserve was rather due to a lively sense of justice and to the rare habit you said she was rare of looking at facts as they are without any throwing of sentimental limelights she knew trant could no more help being trant than she could help being herself and there was an end of it i've never known a woman who made up so little mentally perhaps her very reserve the fierceness of her implicit rejection of sympathy exposed her the more to well to what happened when we met she said afterward that it was like having been shut up for months in the hold of a ship and coming suddenly on deck on a day that was all flying blue and silver i won't try to tell you what she was it's easier to tell you what her friendship made of me and i can do that best by adopting her metaphor of the ship haven't you sometimes at the moment of starting on a journey some glorious plunge into the unknown been tricked out by the thought if only one hadn't to come back well with her one had the sense that one would never have to come back that the magic ship would always carry one farther and what an air one breathed on it and oh the wind and the islands and the sunsets i said just now her friendship and i used the word advisedly love is deeper than friendship but friendship is a good deal wider the beauty of our relation was that it included both dimensions our thoughts met as naturally as our eyes it was almost as if we loved each other because we liked each other the quality of a love may be tested by the amount of friendship it contains and in our case there was no dividing line between loving and liking no disproportion between them no barrier against which desire beat in vain or from which thought fell back unsatisfied 
ours was a robust passion that could give an open-eyed account of itself and not a beautiful madness shrinking away from the proof for the first months friendship sufficed us or rather gave us so much by the way that we were in no hurry to reach what we knew it was leading to but we were moving there nevertheless and one day we found ourselves on the borders it came about through a sudden decision of trance to start on a long tour with his wife we had never foreseen that he seemed rooted in his new york habits and convinced that the whole social and financial machinery of the metropolis would cease to function if he did not keep an eye on it through the columns of his morning paper and pronounce judgment on it in the afternoon at his club but something new had happened to him he caught a cold which was followed by a touch of pleurisy and instantly he perceived the intense interest and importance which ill health may add to life he took the fullest advantage of it a discerning doctor recommended travel in a warm climate and suddenly the morning paper the afternoon club fifth avenue wall street all the complex phenomena of the metropolis faded into insignificance and the rest of the terrestrial globe from being a mere geographical hypothesis useful in enabling one to determine the latitude of new york acquired reality and magnitude as a factor in the convalescence of mr philip trent his wife was absorbed in preparations for the journey to move him was like mobilizing an army and weeks before the date set for their departure it was almost as if she were already gone this foretaste of separation showed us what we were to each other yet i was letting her go and there was no help for it no way of preventing it resistance was as useless as vain struggles in a nightmare she was trance and not mine part of his luggage when he travelled as she was part of his household furniture when he stayed at home the day she told me that their passages were taken it was on a november afternoon in her drawing-room in town i turned away from her and going to the window stood looking out at the torrent of traffic interminably pouring down fifth avenue i watched the senseless machinery of life revolving in the rain and mud and tried to picture myself performing my small function in it after she had gone from me it can't be it can't be i exclaimed what can't be i came back into the room and sat down by her this this i hadn't any words two weeks i said what's two weeks she answered vaguely something about their thinking of spain for the spring two weeks two weeks i repeated and the months we've lost the days that belong to us yes she said i'm thankful it's settled our words seemed irrelevant haphazard it was as if each were answering a secret voice and not what the other was saying don't you feel anything at all i remember bursting out at her as i asked it the tears were streaming down her face i felt angry with her and was almost glad to note that her lids were red and that she didn't cry becomingly i can't express my sensation to you except by saying that she seemed part of life's huge league against me and suddenly i thought of an afternoon we had spent together in the country on a ferny hillside when we had sat 
under a beech tree and her hand had lain palm upward in the moss close to mine and i had watched a little black and red beetle creeping over it the bell rang and we heard the voice of a visitor and the click of an umbrella in the umbrella stand she rose to go into the inner drawing-room and i caught her suddenly by the wrist you understand i said that we can't go on like this i understand she answered and moved away to meet her visitor as i went out i heard her saying in the other room yes we're really off on the twelfth end of section three